Hey, good morning, everybody. As you can tell, if you're here in the room, it's very full. There's a lot of you here, and uh, all for one service. And it's it's fun to have you all here in the room. I want to let you know that we are planning on sticking with one service for a little while. And what we'd like to do is arrange the seats a little bit differently, so we don't have um, don't have to put out so many folding chairs in the back. We're ordering more of these chairs, these big blue padded chairs. And so we'll have those available on a future week. I don't think it'll be here by next Sunday, but hopefully shortly after that. And uh, the intention was that we, you know, we'd have one service where there'd be a pretty good number of people. A second service would be, would, would sometimes be somewhat empty, or would, we just felt like we didn't need two services at this point. And it's a lot of work to put on two services. So we thought, let's combine forces into one service where we have everyone together. And, and so that's what, we, that's what the plan is. And then you all shocked us by just packing the room out today. And it's so good to see you all here today, but we're going to try to, we'll plan on this moving forward to have attendance like this um, and, and try to arrange the seats, you know, a little bit differently too, to, to, to get, to maximize the amount of space here. We got a bunch of empty space up here. We could, you know, we could have spread the chairs out differently. So we'll work on that for next time. So just a heads up on that. I want you to remember, uh, think about for a moment, some of you are, are kids still and might have this experience, you know, in, the, in this room, but for those of you who... Uh, remember back in elementary school, high school, middle school, getting the report card or getting your grades and just that feeling of you've got this statement being made about how you were doing on your academic journey. And for some of you, that was like you didn't care too much about it. Some of you are really like high strung and you're like, I see all A's except for that one class and I'm very unhappy about that. I need to go talk to that teacher. Let's have some conversations about extra credit to get my grade up for next quarter or semester or whatever, right? So if you remember the feeling, right, of what it was like to get a report card, I kind of, sometimes I cared about that a lot. Sometimes I didn't care about that very much. Senior year, it was hard for me to care about my grades for some reason. I'm not sure why. Um, but, but that feeling of getting that report card. Now, I left that feeling behind. You know, years passed, I, I, I went to college and then moved on, and, and then it just had not had the experience of getting a report card for a very long time, or getting my grades. I guess they don't call them report cards in college anymore. But when I, I went back to school just a couple of years ago, so a handful of years ago, I went, I went back to school again, and I got my first grade again. And I cannot describe to you exactly what that felt like when I got my grade. I, I had like, I, I, I think I got an A on my first class and I was very happy about that. Yes, I got an A. And then I had another class that was a little bit more challenging or the, the instructor graded a little more strictly and I, I don't think I got an A on that class. And I was so bummed. I was just like, I was like, oh no, I can't believe I didn't get an A on this one. I got an A on the last one. Oh no. And it was a weird feeling because I, I, I didn't realize how much that mattered to me until that moment, until I got the grades back and I was like, this matters to me way more than I thought, I thought it would. And I didn't go to school to receive validation from a professor. Like that wasn't like why I went back to, back to college. Um, I, I went to school to grow and to learn, but all of a sudden my motivation changed to getting a really good grade on, that, on, that, on my grades, you know? And it was this funny moment. So I was thinking about Thinking about like if Jesus, if we had something like report cards on our spiritual journey following Jesus, like what, what would that be like and what would that, how would that feel, right, to get like an assessment, a little snapshot of how you're doing when it comes to following Jesus, when you're walking through this life with him, walking in relationship with Jesus, and then you get like the quarterly report card? Wouldn't that be funny? 
Um, I don't know. I don't know how you would feel about that. I just, that, that struck me as something that would be interesting to think about. But if you got like an assessment, here's how things are going. Or what about the whole church? It's like, here's how the church is doing. You're doing really well over here. You know, I remember getting the progress reports back in early elementary days, and it was like, needs to sit still more in class. Or, you know, his, he, he uh, seems to be daydreaming a lot, you know, during when we're trying to teach him, that kind of thing. Um, and, and if you had like just real specific notes about how it was going, you're doing really, really well here, and over here you're struggling a little bit. We need to work on this area. It might be helpful to have something like that in our spiritual life, but it'd also be, I think, intimidating to have something like that. We get something in the book of Revelation that is something like a report card for a group of churches. There's these churches that these messages are being delivered to from Jesus to these churches. And in Revelation chapter 2, which is where I'd like you to turn in your Bibles today, we're, we're going to be talking about um, one of these report cards, a church that gets an assessment from Jesus himself on how they are doing, how it's going, where they're doing well, what they need to improve on. So Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. And then we'll, we'll continue reading on here. Well, we're going to go all the way to verse 7 this morning. It says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. So let's stop right there for a moment. So we, we have here in the book of Revelation this letter to the churches. There are a, coll- a collection of letters, seven churches that are re- or, or messages to these, to these churches, written by the apostle John, you know, Jesus telling him what to write, but then this message going from Jesus through John to these churches. And then it says in, in, in chapter 2 that the angel of the church in Ephesus, now the word angel means messenger, so some people would say, no, there's an angel associated with this church and, and that's who the letter is going to. Some would say this is going to the pastor, this is going to the leader of the church, he's the messenger who delivers messages to that church or so maybe one of the pastors or something like that or the elders of this church, something along those lines. But it's going to a place called Ephesus, which we know a lot about in the Bible. If you know the story of the, the church in Ephesus, there's a, there's a whole book written to the Ephesians, it's called, in our Bibles. It's a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote. So this was a a spiritual community started by the Apostle Paul in this town called Ephesus. Ephesus was the most important city in the Roman province of Asia, which is modern-day Turkey, right? So this letter's written to to this community called Ephesians. But Paul, roughly 40 years earlier, had started a church in the city of Ephesus, this this strategic hub for that whole region. And then Paul taught there for a number of years. He stayed there and taught and helped build the church and established elders and leaders in this church. And that city became a hub so that the gospel went out over the whole region. And we're told that that's what happened. And Paul had some pretty amazing years there. And in fact, the, the, the gospel spread in the city of Ephesus through these miraculous things, these signs and these wonders. And it, it, it impacted that city so much that it had a noticeable effect on the economy. Because Ephesus was the center for pagan worship and there was all this, 
you know, sorcery and all these different things that people practiced in the city. And they were leaving that on such a large scale that it was having like this, this financial impact on the economy. And that financial impact led to a riot. Like the gospel spreading so much that, that a riot happened. Paul was brought into this place where the, this riot was happening. They were upset about him. They were concerned about losing um, the income. All the, all the merchants and stuff associated with page, pagan worship were concerned about losing their, losing their living, their, their, what's the word I'm looking for? Their livelihood. That's the word I was looking for. So Paul eventually leaves after a number of years, and he appoints a young man named Timothy, who also shows up in the Bible quite a bit. In fact, there's two letters written to him to be the the head elder over this church. And then later church tradition tells us that the apostle John himself became the pastor of this church. And here's the first part of the report card. The, The to the angel in the church in Ephesus, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, he says some good things about them. He says, I know your works. Church in Ephesus, you're doing a great job in these areas. You are working hard for the cause of Christ. You are toiling. There's patient endurance, your, your works that you are doing. And then he says, and then you cannot bear with those who are evil, but you've tested those who call themselves apostles and are not. So this church is making a really big deal about what is true and what is not. And, and actually recognizing and pointing out, hey, this is truth, holding up the truth and saying these other things are, are not true, which is important. When we're talking about Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life, it's important that we understand what truth is and also what truth isn't and discerning between them. Then he says, and you're enduring patiently and you're bearing up for my name's sake and you haven't grown weary. In other words, things have been tough for you at different times, but man, you've been endure- you've endured, you, you have patience, you've been bearing up for Christ's namesake, and even in spite of the difficulties, you have not grown weary. So the first part of the report card is really great. This church is doing really well, right? They're doing all the, all the right things. They're working hard, standing up for the truth. So by a lot of measurements, like if you were evaluating churches, if you were considering different churches and you're like, I wonder I'm, how this, how's this church doing compared to other churches or whatever, th- this church seems to be doing a great job in a lot of areas. They're doing really a lot of things very, very well. And they're doing the stuff you're really supposed to do as a church, right? Like they're serving people in the name of Christ. They're wor- working hard for the cause of, uh, of Christ. They're doing the stuff you're supposed to be doing. They're standing up for the truth. But then there's this real pivot that takes place in the next verse. I want to read... Revelation 2, verse 4. He says, But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. So the report card really pivots here, right? It's like, hey, you're, you're doing really well in these areas, but here's the problem, and this is where your heart sinks a little bit if you're reading an actual report card, like here's, here's what you've done great, here's where you need to improve. This church's report card is that they have abandoned the love you had at first. I want you to think about love for a moment. Um, I read a book a number of years ago called The Radical Leap. And in this book, it was like a leadership book, and the book was talking about how love is the best motivator. That if you love someone or you love something, that love fuels action. That love fuels your response. That love like motivates you 
to, to help the person you love or to do the, the things for the cause that you love, all, all of these things. Love is a great motivator. It's like the high-octane fuel. Like you can have other motivations for doing important things, but love is the, is the best one, right? Obligation is a motivation. Like I need to, I'm doing this because I need to do it. Someone needs to do it. I don't really want to do it, but I, I'm obligated to, and so I'm doing this thing, whatever it is. But if you love your job, or you love a person, like this is a much cleaner fuel for motivation, right? This, this helps you. This is a powerful source of motivation. So sometimes in like the athletics world, someone will be talking about an athlete and they'll say, this person just has a great love of the game. Like they love the game. I remember Michael Jordan uh, many years ago worked into his contract with the NBA that he would get to play whenever. It was, it was like the love of the game contract. So he's, of course, amazing basketball player. But he had this, this clause in his contract that he could go play a pickup game in a park if he wanted to, and that's allowed. Like some professional athletes have rules where they're like, do not be playing with just like regular folks in a park because you might hurt yourself. And then that would affect, like, that, that we could lose millions of dollars if our star athlete gets injured. And so some athletes would have these things, like, you, you, you can only play at practice, you could play in the games. But Michael Jordan had this love of the game clause in his contract where it's like, if he wanted to just go play in a pickup game somewhere in a gym, he could do that. He had a love of the game. And this love, right, fuels it. It's like, I, he doesn't need to be told to go play basketball. He loves basketball, and so he's, he's just going to go play, play basketball. Or you might have a hobby that you love. Like you have some collection that you devote a lot of time to, or you might have some, you know, some way you spend your time and you love it. You don't, in that case, you don't need to be told to go do that, right? Maybe your, maybe your hobbies, I mean, we, we, a lot of us around here love to watch football, right? To, to sit on a couch and watch a, watch a football game or something like that. Like you don't need to be convinced, if you love to do that, to go do that. You're like, I'm just going to go do that, because I love to do that, I enjoy spending time in this way, or, or whatever the case may be, right? Here, for those of you who are parents in this room, you'll identify with the experience that you've had maybe at some point in your life where you are laying in bed, and you hear the unmistakable sound of a child throwing up. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. You don't need to be told to go take care of that child. Right? You might, have been, you might have been very tired. The day before might have been very exhausting, and you are very tired, and you are very comfortable in your nice warm bed, but in that moment, your love for your child fuels you to go care for them, right? You, you don't need to be convinced of that. You, you know what it's like, and so you, you go, you love that child, like, oh no, they're not doing well. I need to go check on them, right? This church here had... Something about it had happened. It says you have abandoned the love you had at first. That they had had something at one time, this love, but had since been abandoned. And, that, you know, churches are made up of people. So this being true of the church must have meant that it was true of the people within the church. That at some point they had love, but then they did abandon the love. Let's talk about what that love must have been, right? When we talk about love in the context of Scripture, we, we talk about love in, in really two ways. There's the great commandment that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And I think in the context of this passage, it's talking about love for Jesus. 
that they had this love for Christ, that when, when the gospel first came to Ephesus, it came with this power and it came with this, um, this level of truth and, and, and power against darkness. And this church loved Jesus. And then something happened over the years where that love began to grow cold and so cold that it says they abandoned it. They abandoned the love that they had at first. I think many people experience something like this in their life, and maybe you wouldn't say you abandoned your love, but I think, I think we can all identify to some degree with having a, a time, hopefully in our relationship with Christ, where our love for Jesus was stronger than maybe it is now. Like, I think, I think what the idea is that we, we have this, we're introduced to faith. We, we begin to walk with Jesus, and there's something powerful, powerfully impactful about that, the emotions of that are usually pretty, a lot of times can be very powerful. And some of you grew up in church and maybe you didn't have like a you know, big moment where you came, came to Christ in this way. But I know for me, when I think about my life, there's times where it's like my, the love for Jesus and the sense of being loved by Jesus is just so strong. It's like, man, I, I am so grateful for the incredible love that Jesus has for me and I love him with every part of my life. And then there are other times where that's not as strong, and it feels more cold. It feels, feels kind of like on a lower level of, of love for Jesus. And the scary thing about this in the context of the church and in the context of the Christian life is that losing that love doesn't necessarily mean you stop doing any of the things. Your, your activity might look exactly the same as it did before, but it's a different fuel source. It becomes obligation or it becomes you know, just checking the box, so to speak, spiritually. There's some kind of the motivation change but, but I think what I believe about the Christian life is that like, the, the journey matters. Like We're on this journey with Jesus together. We're progressing towards you know, heaven someday, but this life that he wants us to have in, in, in this life as well. And there's a, there's a destination. There's a definite destination in mind when we think about walking with Jesus. But also the journey matters, like the way we walk on the path with him, not just the destination. And so for this church, and I, I think something that we can identify with to some level is there's, some, there's a heart issue. There's something at heart in this, in this church. There's a heart problem. There's a lack of, of love. And hopefully not to the case where we'd say, well, it's just abandoned, like there's no love for Jesus. But, but this is what I want us to think about today is when you think about your love for Jesus, your, your love for God, how does it, where are you at with that? Does it feel like it's grown cold? Does it feel like it's not as strong as it used to be or not as strong as you'd like it to be? I think this, this matters, right? This is, a, this is a heart thing. And there are plenty of places in, in, in the Christian life where you can do the work you're supposed to do and then have a heart life that is just not close to Jesus. I think we see this, and I think it hurts people. I think it's dangerous when, when we live this way. So I want you to think about ways of knowing whether or not you've abandoned the love that you had at, the, at first, like this church in Ephesus that's being written to. And it, and it could be, like, this, this could, the answer to this question, like, how do I know if that's me? Uh, there, there could be obvious things, like just real obvious sin struggles that you have that it's like, man, I'm really struggling in this area where I wasn't struggling before, and it's like maybe my heart for Jesus has grown cold, and that, that, that's part of a symptom. But it could be something as small as cynicism. Like, you're just real cynical and real kind of, judgmental about the people around you. And it's like, you, you, there's not a softness 
towards other people or towards God even. Like there, there have been times um, maybe in your life where you, 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 things would have impacted you. Some truth about God's word or some worship song that you're singing would have brought you to tears. But at this point, there's this coldness there where it's not as strong as it would have been. And you, you fail to be kind of moved by God in the way that you were at one point or impressed by God or impressed by his work and, or his word. Sometimes it comes out, this coldness comes out in our relationships with other people, right? Where there's just, like I said, this skepticism or this, this being sort of judgmental and you see someone who, who maybe isn't following the truth and this might have been true for the church in Ephesus, like someone's off, off base in some way about something that's important to us as, as Christians, some truth that matters to us. And, and you look at them, and rather than having compassion for them, you just kind of want to write them off, like almost a disdain for people. Lack of joy, lack of, lack of passion overall. Right? So there's, there's the problem, and we're going to get to the solution in a few moments, but we, it's important that we understand what the stakes are of this. Like if your love for Jesus is not as strong as, you, as it once was or as you wish it was, like, what's, why does that matter so much? If you're still doing all the things that Jesus wants you to do, does it matter? He, he continues on in verses 5 through 7. Let's read for the rest of this little uh, portion here. It says, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear... Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So the stakes here are, are important. We're, we're told here that um, the, the kind of key to understanding this at the end of verse 1 is that a lampstand is what a, ch a church is. It's like another name for the church in the, in the context of the early chapters of Revelation. So the lampstand, which holds the light, would be removed unless the church at Ephesus gets the message. It's like the message is for this church at Ephesus. You've, your, your love for God has grown cold, and that needs to change. And if it doesn't change, here's, here's the stakes, like here's the problem, that the, your lampstand will be removed. So the churches here are not, are not the lamps themselves, but they're the lampstand. They're not the source of the light, but they are what holds the light, right? And so that's true of us today as well, that we're, we're like a lampstand. We're the ones who possess the light, that, that we are the light of the world because Jesus is the light of the world and we, we represent him and we display his light and we help other people see it and we're the lampstand. We hold the light. But he says, what makes you a church will be taken away if this is not addressed, if this is not thought about and responded to in some way. And I think for us, if we, if we think about that, if that diagnosis of us is true, that our love for God is not what, it, what we wish it was, or what it used to be, that that needs to be addressed. That needs to be something that we take seriously because what, what makes us effective is the fact that we have the light, that we, we carry the light. And if, we, if, we have, if that's missing in some way, right, that, that makes us ineffective. That doesn't help us to be useful to what God's mission is for us. And so if you're thinking about if there was a gauge, you know, if there was a report card for you when you think about your heart and when it comes to your love for God, where is it at? I really want you to think about that this morning. Is it strong? Do you, do you, do you, just, do you love Jesus? Do, do we as a church collectively love Jesus? What would our report card say? And, and so if your love for Jesus has grown cold, the, the, the solution for the church at Ephesus is our solution, right? And it's like when you ask a question, 
in like a kid's class downstairs in Sunday school. It's like, how, do we, how are we going to solve this problem if our love for Jesus has grown cold? The answer is always, you know, what's the Sunday school answer? Jesus, thank you. You know it. You know the Sunday school answer, right? To any question downstairs, it's like, well, who is the one who died on the cross for our sins? It's always Jesus, right? Um, and so that, that is the answer. And it, there's a really a three-part solution that is really speaking to Jesus and how Jesus is the solution. And there's three words that are going to be on the screen behind me, and we're going to leave them up there for a while um, that, I, that I want you to see. And so the first one is to remember. The second one is to repent. The third one is to return. Remember, repent, and return. I, um, this sermon is coming from a pretty personal place for me in the sense of I, I remember having an experience in Bible college where I, like when I was 20, 20 to like 22 years old, God got a hold of my life in a radical way. And, and like just I just felt such love for God. I felt such passion for him. I felt a sense of calling on my life where it was like, God, God is deploying me into his service. Like, God wants me to be in ministry. And it's like, I didn't even know what that meant. I, I was on a short-term missions trip as a, a young man in this college group that I was a part of down in Arizona. And I remember just having this sense of like the Holy Spirit just whispering to my heart saying like, I want you to do more of this. And I didn't know what that meant, but I remember taking that sense and that kind of questions I had around that to the pastor of the college ministry and saying, here's what I feel like I'm hearing from God. I don't know what to do with that. What do you think I should do? And, and the person said, well, I think you should maybe sign up for Bible college. Like you do an internship or something and try to take some steps towards um, taking action on that call. And so I did. And I signed up for Bible college, I began attending um, for one year of Bible college in Arizona, moved up here to Spokane to help start this church and continued going to Bible college at Moody Bible Institute uh, here in Spokane. That's sadly closed now, but when it was here. And I remember getting about three years into my four years of Bible college. And I had at that point become the children's pastor here at the church and was, um, you know, serving God in this, in this ministry role, leading our kids, and then going to Bible college, spending a lot of time around the Bible, spending a lot of time thinking about God and thinking about my faith. And the strangest thing happened, right? I went from when I was 20 to 22, when God was like changing my life radically in a very short amount of time, I, I went from at that point having tons of passion for God, but like a, a not as much knowledge and everything, like I wanted, I wanted more knowledge and understanding from the Bible and like about ministry and how to do this and, and what ministry could look like. And something happened about three years in where I sensed that things had totally shifted. And I had a lot of knowledge about the Bible. I'd been, you know, hours and hours of every week devoted to studying the Bible, but my passion had just tanked. All this knowledge, all this understanding, but very little passion for God, very little sense of love and just being overwhelmed by the fact that I get to be, even be a part of God's family. Like, this is incredible. Like, this amazement and the love I had, it had, it had switched. And I had this Revelation 2 moment where I'm like, I am missing something here, and this is not right. And my goal since that time, my, my desire is that I would have both, you know, passion and love for God that's that's always as high as it's ever been, and also the knowledge and wisdom and things that I've been learning and, and growing in. And that's my, my desire for my, for my life, and I'm not always there, right? But that's what I want. That's what I desire. 
And part of the recovery process, part of the transformation for that is very similar to what they're told in Revelation 2. The, the, he says, remember from where you have fallen. Repent and then do the works you did at first. There's three pieces there, right? Remember, repent, and then do the works that you did at first. We're describing that as return. And so for me, that's what I needed to do. I needed to, like, I needed to take some time to remember what God had done for me. And I remember sitting down with a piece of paper when I was at that point about three years into my Bible college journey and, and thinking about the way that God had worked and the lessons I'd learned and the things that I was grateful for and these transformative times even in the, in the college classroom where God had met me in powerful ways. And I had to just remember. And I wrote down teachers' names and I wrote down class names and kind of defining moments. And I took some time to remember what God had done for me. And that helped me bring me back to the place where I needed to be when it came to my love for God, my passion for him. The second thing I, I did in that moment, and, and what we do if we ever find our love growing cold, is we, is we repent, and that simply means agreeing with God about where we are and, and getting back on track to where we want to be and recognizing that, hey, things are not where I wish they were, where I, where I want them to be, but, I, man, I, I recognize that, and I want to move back towards where things should be. The the third R word there is return, right? Return to what you used to do. In Bible college, it's, it's such a weird dynamic because it's like you, you spend so much time in the Bible, like writing a paper, like you're going through the book of Romans for a class, whole college class on the book of Romans. So you spend all this time reading Romans, reading commentaries on Romans, and, and spending time thinking deeply about God's word. And then it, there's a temptation to substitute that for your personal time with God. Like, man, I've been thinking about the Bible a lot, so maybe that counts. Like, that's my quiet time. We'll just check the box there because I spent all this time writing a paper on the book of Romans. That's got to be like a quiet time, right? Like, like spending devotional time and reading God's Word. And I, I realized, like, that is not it. Like, that's, there's got to be time with God that's just for me. That's just for, for what, God is, what God wants to teach me personally, not to fulfill some kind of requirement for, for a class. And so that was one of the reminders for me during that time was that I need to go back to where, like, this is... You know, I still, there's still a constant temptation, right, to prepare a sermon every week. It's like that, that should feel like that should count towards my devotional life, but it doesn't. It's not a substitute. Like, I need to spend time personally in God's Word, and you need that too. Maybe you don't face that same temptation because you're not in that same kind of environment, but we, we need that. We need this place where we meet with God. We return to what we used to do and what we need the most. We, we need this time and this connection with God, and Scripture tells us here that the reward he says that, that to the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And that's a whole sermon, guys. The whole tree of life and tracing that theme through Scripture is a, is a powerful idea. But I want, I want to kind of conclude our thoughts on this passage with this. The history tells us that this church that received this message listened Right? They didn't cease to exist as a church. They, I think they responded to this message from Jesus specifically for them. And this church continued for like 900 years, the church at Ephesus, like they, they, through church history. And we're told that they listened. It seems to be true that they listened to this challenge that was leveled at them. And they responded. They're like, oh, man, you're right. Our love for God has grown cold. They, they did remember, they did repent, they did return. And, and church history remarks about the church at Ephesus that it was a, a strong church that was praised during church history for doing 
accomplishing great things um, for God and, and, and serving in notable ways and making an impact in the ancient world. So listen, part of the solution for, for all of us this morning, um, if we feel in any way that our love has grown cold, is to do these things, to remember, to repent, to return. And I, and I feel like uh, this morning's message has been a little more serious than I intended. Like there's not, not been a lot of uh, humor like I try to include in, in uh, messages today, but I guess that's fine sometimes um, to have these moments where we're, just, we're, being, we're, we're thinking deeply about something. And I do want you to think deeply about this idea of your love for Jesus. Is your love for Jesus where you want it to be, where you wish it was? Is it as strong as it used to be? Maybe there was a time where you do feel that sense of coldness or that cynicism that's grown in your heart towards things of God or even to other people that are fellow followers of God. One of the solutions for us is to remember. We're going to go through a time of communion uh, here in a few moments, and part of what communion is is to help us remember. And I want you to remember something very specific. You are loved. And if you ever have any questions about how loved you are, think about the cross. Think about what Jesus has done for us. Think about what Jesus accomplished and the, the, the way he displayed his love, the way he proclaimed it, the way how you know you're loved. Man, we look to the cross. And when we celebrate communion, when we, when we do this as a, as a community, this is a reminder. This is a chance to put it front and center in our minds, this thing that we forget sometimes which is how loved we are. You are loved. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 10 is speaking about this idea of loving other people. But it, it, I'm going to read this to you. 1 John 4, 7 through 10 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. The idea is this, that we, we, even, we don't even know what love is until we see it displayed for us in Jesus. Jesus shows us most fully what love is. And our experience of that, our, our accepting of that helps us to love the people around us, helps us to love God back. But that is love. It is on display. This, this love for us on the cross is how we know what love is. I want to pray for us. Lord, we thank you for this time in your word. We thank you for the opportunity to learn from you and to learn from the experience of the church in Ephesus, Lord. And I pray that you would help us, Lord, even just in these next few moments, to have a real sense of how loved we are by you. We need that. We, we, get, we get off track. We get confused. We get, the times are complicated. Times are weird. And we are forgetful of things that we need to remember. And so, Lord, I pray for everybody in this room who's a believer already, Lord, that you would help us to know how loved we are, and I pray that that would move us. That wouldn't be some intellectual idea, but that would be something that sinks into our hearts and fuels anything and everything we do for you, this gratitude about the, the, the grace that has been poured out on us. We want to live our lives in a way that brings you honor and glory, and Lord, we don't want to do that in a cold-hearted way. We want to do that with a, with a heart that is moved by you and that is full of gratitude for your goodness and your grace.
And Lord, I pray if there's anybody here joining us either online or in, in the room here who's, who hasn't experienced that, like this seems like a great idea, but they don't know what it's like to have you as their savior, as their friend that wants to walk through this life with them. Lord, may they in this moment, Lord, may you draw them to yourself. May you give them the life that you promised to give to anybody who would come to you. Help us to know you more. Help us to experience you as our, as our savior, to, to, to really to know that you are with us, to know that you love us, to know that you are a good God who has good plans for us. And then, then in response, Lord, to the sense of how loved we are, may we love you with a, with a heart that is full of love. Lord, may that fuel our service of you. May, Lord, give us this sense of warmth in our heart towards things of you. After this tough season we've all been through collectively in the world over the last two years, Lord, that these things sap that kind of passion away. But Lord, would you restore it? Would you fill us up? Would you help us to know you more? And Lord, will we have this strong sense of your love and your goodness and your grace and use this time, Lord, the, the closing moments that we're together to do that. May we love you with every part of our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me? So we're going to celebrate communion um, together today. There's communion elements here on the table in front of me. And you likely have noticed there's something else on the table in front of me. And so I want to explain um, that you need to, at some point during the next little bit here, and I know we're kind of, uh, there's a lot of us here, so maybe um, you, you might even want to send someone up to grab your communion elements. But when you come up to grab the communion, communion cup, and there's a gluten-free section here in the middle too, FYI, grab a rubber band and the cup, and then take them back to your seat, and I'll explain what we're doing with that when we celebrate communion together. But right now we're gonna worship, we're gonna collect the elements and the rubber band and take them back to your seats and then I'll explain what we're doing in a few moments.